Now tonight, let's turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 13. And the entire section here, of course, is, is relevant to what I'm going to say. But in verse 7, render therefore to all their dues. Fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Our faith is a very practical thing with us. Pick up the newspaper and you read something, you know, I don't like that. Pick up a newspaper and read something, so that couldn't be. And whenever you see anything or anything happens, immediately you're going to make a judgment. We have radio stations that make it a practice to take a roving microphone and go down on the street when anything happens anywhere and say, what do you think about it? What do you think about it? And you've listened to these different comments. But all of these comments are made on the spot immediately by someone on the basis of some standard, some uh, body of thinking that they have in their head. And on that basis they compare this and they make a judgment. But that's the way we all do. And that's the way we all must do absolutely essential that we know certain things. It's absolutely essential that we know about God, who he is, what he expects us to be, and how he expects us to act. We must know these things about God. We call it indoctrination. That's what you call it. You must know the Christian religion, the whole thing, the entire system. We need to know it. And then that's in our thinking, it's in our heart, it's in our being, and everything we do is in relationship to that. We must know Jesus Christ. He is our standard of right and wrong because Jesus Christ is the living embodiment of the law of God. He didn't sin. But we not only need to know about the law of God and about God, beloved, but we need to know about our country. We need to know what our country is supposed to stand for. We need to know its constitution, its system of government. We need to know about the governors and the courts and the legislature. We need to know all these things and how they work and what their limits are and what they're supposed to do. Every last one of us ought to know these things. We ought to know what it means to be a patriot. We ought to know what it means to be an American. And we must give our allegiance first to God and second to our country. And if we have the proper relationships to God, that's going to have a great deal to do with what we desire and the way we want our country to be. And if we're a God-fearing people, we'll have a people who will obey our statutes and see that our statutes are good and righteous. The whole relationship to our social order, our social structure, and all the activities is definitely related to God and how much we know about him, definitely related to our form of government and how much we love it and how much we're determined to preserve it. Now, it's just that simple. And every boy in every home from the time he can begin to talk ought to be able to lift up a little flag and say, this is my country. 
And every boy and every girl in every home ought to be taught from their earliest days that this country has a great heritage and that our freedom and our heritage has come from God and it's related to men and women who came over to this country and opened up a new world and they died that they might have freedom. These are the most elementary things that you and I have to deal with every day. Our schools ought to support them. Our colleges ought to support them. Our business institutions ought to support them. Everywhere you turn, every American ought to support these things and ought to understand what our relationship is one to another under the law. Why should I even begin to talk like this? Because the ordinary, simple responsibilities and these generally accepted things which are amongst us aren't even talked about anymore. Nobody ever even takes time to explain these things anymore. They just don't. We all take it for granted except where it's being undermined and assaulted and attacked openly. And then we look around and say, well, it couldn't happen here anyhow, so we go on down our way. And when I read this passage from Romans tonight and you came down to the end of it in the 11th chapter, the apostle is saying, and that, knowing that now it is high time to wake out of sleep. He's telling us that as Christians we'd better wake up. He's telling us as those who belong to the Lord, the day is at hand. He says it's high time to wake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. And we are to be a people who are awake and who are alert and who know what time of the night it is. The night is far spent. And the time when the Lord will come is at hand. The time of the coming of our Savior is very near. And we are a people who must realize these things and in the light of our knowledge go out and witness and work for Jesus Christ. I just can't understand it. I just can't understand it here this congregation tonight. The Lord bless you and I'm happy you've come. And there's a lot more here tonight than there was last Sunday night. But why isn't this place filled up tonight? Why isn't this church just packed with young people tonight? When I said I was going to speak on this subject of our boys and girls of draft age, why aren't they here? Where are they? Do they not care? Do the parents not care? Are they not interested in at least hearing what the church and what the ministry has to say about these things? This passage here in the epistle to the Romans, this 13th passage, 13th chapter, and the one over in 1 Peter in the second chapter, these passages in the New Testament tell us that there is a civil order and that we have a responsibility to it and that we have an obligation to maintain it and support it and to submit ourselves to its ordinances and to its laws. There has to be civil order. If there were not any civil order in this town of Collingswood tonight, you couldn't have gotten over to this church would have been impossible for you to get to this church if we hadn't had good civil order in this town tonight. Just take, for instance, the regulations concerning the street. Suppose everybody was free to go down the street anyway, anytime, in any direction he wanted to go. Now, wouldn't that be a nice one? 
Some of us are going crossways, no stoplights, no red, no green, going this way. I'm going down the left side, you're going down the right side, you're going down the middle, you're going north, I'm going south, and wouldn't we have a highway? In fact, we wouldn't have a highway. It would be impossible to go anywhere. And that's why, beloved, it is so essential that the streets are kept open in case we have a fire and there's some sort of an accident and the, and the police have to come down and the ambulance have to move and then come the fire trucks and they come rolling in with their apparatuses to protect life. And the purpose of this civil order is that we may live together. Now, I can grant you, if you were the only man in town, there was nobody else here but you, I guess we wouldn't need any traffic regulations. But even you yourself would work out some kind of a path for your movements. You'd have enough sense to say, I'm going to go this way or go that way, but that's purely hypothetical because there's two of us. And if there's two of you living in one house, you've got to have some kind of agreement as to what bed you're going to sleep in. You have to have some kind of an understanding. That's why we have a dining room and a kitchen. Wouldn't it be nice to put the dining room and the kitchen on top of each other and the bedroom on top of that? We'd really have a nice home. No, we have to have order in our home. And my friend, you have to have some order to your life. But there has to be order to your life, order to your home, order to your community, order to your state, order to your nation. And God has ordained civil order in order that we may live. And the civil order is to protect life and property. and that we might enjoy the blessings of living. That's what it's here for. And the civil order, as we understand it, is an order which God has given to us and that it might be protected. But what are we going to do, beloved, when the enemy comes in, when there's war, when there arises a force that's going to destroy it? What do we do? Well, we call out the army. But who's going to be in that army? Well, the young men of the, of the country, they're going to be in that army. And you're face to face with the simple, ordinary reality that a people who have order and a form of government have to maintain their security. We begin with the police, all honor to them. But in times of war, we have the National Guard or we have the army. And the police are in the same line of authority and the same line of protection as men who go to war in times of great national emergency. But, beloved, these are things that are essential, absolutely essential to the well-being of our existence and to our society. Consequently, we have a constitution down here and it says that Congress shall have power to... Call out the militia, and Congress shall have power to do these various things, and Congress shall have this power and that power. And, beloved, whenever the nation is in need and its existence or its security is involved, and the Congress of the United States declares war, and the Congress of the United States, which represents all the people, says that we must maintain a standing army and that this army must be equipped and alert that this army must be prepared to protect the interests of our republic, then every single citizen pays taxes to maintain it, and every single citizen of this country should be loyal to it, 
and has an obligation to see that that army meets the requirements that those in authority believe that it should. You know, when I unfold a sermon like this and just talk about these things, here it is in Romans, just as clear as can be. But you even think, well, why do you talk about it? Well, I'll tell you why we talk about it, because somebody picked up a card on the bus here on Haddon Avenue the other day. They just picked up a card on the bus. And they brought it in and says, Pastor, would you look at this? And then I read it. They resisted. So I know all about it. I know all about it. I was down in Washington, D.C. not too long ago when they had these clergymen and laymen for peace in Vietnam. And this man Coffin was down there. Coffin is now, as you know, not under indictment. He's been convicted. And he's in an appeal now. Arthur Goldberg's his lawyer. But there at that meeting were those several hundred clergymen were all these young men. And I saw the leader of this so-called resistance movement from New York City get up there and challenge the young men to go out and defy the draft and defy the call of their country. And I heard them applaud and applaud and applaud these young men who said, we'll have to go to jail for five years, we may have to be put in prison for five years or three years, but we're going to go! And you thought they were some kind of heroes, the way they cheered them and honored them for what they were going to do. And this is that movement, and it's come to Haddon Avenue in Collingswood, New Jersey. And the same movement that I met in Washington, D.C., the same movement, by the way, if you know the story, when I was down there, they were all there that day, you know, and they opened the meeting for questions, and I got up over here to ask them a question, ask Dr. Coffin a question. And I just kept on going, and I got up here, and I got, finally got up in the pulpit and challenged this man Coffin for teaching this revolution and teaching this rebellion against the society in which you and I live. Do you know that this passage which I'm reading to you tonight tells you and me that when the state is ordered, to protect our life and our property when the state is ordered to do this thing that the state at that point is serving the cause of God. He is a minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. And it's the purpose of my government under which I live to apprehend these criminals that do evil. It's the purpose of the government under which I live to deal with this man that killed somebody out here in cold blood. He needs to be arrested to put on trial and to forfeit his life for that murder. And it's the purpose of government to avenge the evil. And it's our business to see that the government stands for the good. Now these are our responsibilities and these are responsibilities that we have and they should be presented from the pulpits of the church. And yet there'll be some of our people around here every time the pastor gets into this field somebody gets up and says I wish he'd have preached the gospel tonight and not gotten into politics. My dear friend if you want to accuse me of politics you accuse the 13th chapter of Romans of politics if you will.
because that's what the 13th chapter of Romans says. And if I'm going to have liberty to preach the gospel, if I'm going to have a pulpit where I can be free from anarchy, if I'm going to have a church on the street corner that belongs to us, I've got to uphold the powers of the civil order or we won't have it. Now look what these boys were putting out. Look at these young men so misguided, so misled. The resistance is a community of young Americans fighting the draft. Well, what is the draft? The draft is the call of our country. That's all. in which the duly constituted authorities of this land under our Constitution, who have the authority in their hands, have said that we need so many young men. And they call. And when that call comes, every young man in this country ought to face it and ought to respond to it and do his duty. We call it duty, you know. Want to do our duty to God. Well, to do your duty to God, yes, but do your duty to, to your country, to God in your country. And your duty to your country is that when you're called to the colors, you should go. But we're resisting the draft. The resistance and its support group will help anyone who refuses induction. Here we are, a good group of us gotten together now. We'll help you. My friend, if you'll defy this thing, you just come to us and we'll be right ready to give you all the help you need. We have lawyers. Yeah, what kind of lawyers do they have? And bail funds. And where do they get their bail from? From the communists? Oh, yes, they get them from the treasuries of some of your nice National Council of Churches. That's where they get them. And a few months ago, when the Diocese of Pennsylvania was having their meeting in Philadelphia and they were discussing this thing, I found out they were discussing it and I dropped everything I have and went right over here to the Sheridan Hotel and sat upstairs there and listened to them debate it. And they were divided. Thank God there were some good patriotic Episcopalians in that assembly and they were really fighting. The sad part about it is they were in the minority. And they set up a counseling system in which the money from the Episcopal Church is being, used, is being used to counsel young men to defy the draft. Church money. I was there and witnessed the whole show as they put it off. And I think it's a shame on the Episcopal Church. And I think it's a shame on the Methodist Church. And I think it's a shame on all these churches that are contributing to the encouraging of these young men to defy the draft in this country today. I would never counsel a young man to defy the draft. If he's called and if his numbers come and if he's called, I say, son, go in there and serve your country, but be a good Christian and don't let down your standards. And that's the way it ought to be, and that's the way it should be. You can't even get some of these American Legion groups excited anymore. That's the truth. 
And you don't have any patriotic groups left very much anymore. Where is any? Where are any of them? Where do you ever hear about them anymore? If they're talking, you never see any reports about it. Something sad and wicked is happening to our country. Now look at the rest of this. We have lawyers, yes. What lawyers? Several thousand men from all parts of the country are already resisting. Yeah, here's, a, here's an army of rebellion, and they're building up an army of rebellion. One of these days, if they get enough of them, they've turned against the draft, they'll be the ones that'll take charge, and first thing you know, they're going to take over a city. <clears throat> Just remember, it is your like and your choice. You don't have to let them push you around. Yes. Well, son, if you don't want to be pushed around in a call to the United States government, would you kindly please get out of this country and go somewhere else where you can support the government? This isn't politics, this isn't the Democratic Party, this isn't the Republican Party, this isn't George Wallace. This is the government of the United States taking action through the Congress and our duly responsible and duly ordained authorities saying you need to serve your country. Now, beloved, when I was over in Uppsala, Sweden this summer, I was present when the young people of the World Council of Churches, their youth assembly, said that they congratulated the young men from Germany that had defected. They were already in the army. They just went AWOL. They defected. And they came up to Sweden. And there they asked for asylum in Sweden. And the Swedish government gave them that asylum. And these young people from the World Council of Churches, these young people from the World Council of Churches stood up in a resolution, and I have the resolution on this pulpit tonight, in which they said, we identify ourselves with these young men who have walked out of the United States Army. In that World Council company of young people, there were young men from the United States, of course, but there were young men from all over the world. And what you had at that point was a group of young people who are against the United States, period. They're against us. They're against us because we're capitalistic. They're against us because we're in Vietnam. They're against us because there are forces in this country that have stood up against communism. And these young people actually said that our being in Vietnam was a crime and that we were the aggressors. The whole World Council said that itself a little later. Beloved, our churches tonight are empty. They are dead. We're talking about this new kind of ecumenical unity. And the churches are all mixed up in all this social agitation. And while this is going on, the simple, ordinary things of fear in God and protecting the welfare of your country goes by the by, and the young people don't know, and they listen to all of these things, and the first thing you know, they're out with the draft card burners. 
My heart went out last week to this man down here in Pleasantville. The Atlantic City paper had a front page story. His boy had defected from Germany, from the army, and gone up to Sweden to seek asylum. And the dear man said, I'm, I'm embarrassed. Well, I was embarrassed with him. Not just because he was son, but because he was a young American. That's what made me embarrassed. But who else got embarrassed? <laughs> who else cares what happens to these young men? Beloved, I want to tell you, if our young men aren't going to love God and love our country and they're going to go traitorous like this and fall out in some great hour, some great moment of crisis and decision, they're going to turn against us. And then we'll have blood in our streets and blood in our homes. And we're not getting too far away from that condition tonight. I uh, brought with me tonight the latest issue of the Marxist Review, Communist. And on the front cover, I'm going to use it on the radio this week, on the front cover, the youth of America are waking up. The communists think they're waking up in their side, which they are. And all of this fits into one now somebody sent me this the other day from one of the papers and I just want to read it to you because it has this direct reference to this very issue this is a letter which appeared in the Bristol Herald Courier in Bristol Tennessee a short time ago I want to speak out for the common man of our nation who leads a common life who earns a common salary who has a common ambition who dreams a common dream and who pays common taxes all America has been told these past several weeks over and over again that we are a sick society I propose to you that I'm not sick maybe you are but I'm not I'm sick to death of being told I am sick by government officials who will not enforce the law by politicians who dance to the tune of minority groups, by those in the pulpit who use their office to project the socialistic creed of the radicals. I'm sick to death of being told I'm sick. By idealistic, aggressive news reporters and evaluators who have the audacity to tell me I should believe whatever they tell me knowing I have no vehicle to express my views. I'm sick to death of being told I'm sick by foppish entertainers draped in Nehru jackets, feminine necklaces, and a cloak of pseudo-intellectualism. I'm sick of cynical attitudes toward patriotism and our American institutions. I am sick of sacrificing the cream of American manhood to political wars we are not going to win and don't want to win. I am sick of the decline in integrity and personal honor in this nation. I am sick of those who burn their car, their draft cards and will not serve their country. I am sick of the permissive attitude, laxity, and tolerance to pressure groups and the criminal element that is bringing this nation to its knees in lawlessness. I am sick of seeing law enforcement agencies and the laws of this nation emasculated. 
I am sick of seeing the same phrases mouthed, whether you call them hippies, beatniks, or pseudo-poor people. I'm sick of not being able to take my family to a movie because it is loaded with perversion, drunkenness, dope, and violence, whose only purpose is to shock. I'm sick of seeing the same phrase in the popular literature of the day that I see scrawled on the walls of public toilets. I'm sick of so-called educators and leaders too weak-kneed themselves to understand the value of discipline in the character of man. I am sick of being told I am sick. I am sick of being told I am sick with violence because of the fascination of mentally deranged men fed on the steady diet of violence and perversion by the nation's periodicals, press, television, and movies, all condoned, even aided by courts, which permit license in the name of freedom. I'm sick of riots. He's a pretty sick fella. He's a pretty sick fella. But here it is, this whole spirit of rebellion, this whole spirit of burning draft cards, this whole spirit of defying the army, this whole spirit, and say you don't have to be pushed around. Well, young man, if you're going to enjoy the blessings of liberty, if you're going to enjoy this land which God has given us with its free air, you must be willing when the time comes and you're called upon to go and do your duty to the entire country and to every one of us. Now this passage goes on and says that we must be subject not only for wrath's sake. If you are not subject, you will pay the penalty. But the passage goes on and says that we must be subject also for conscience sake. And here you have the place of conscience coming into the life of a Christian. Now, beloved, if the government ever arises and tells you to worship another god, if the government ever arises and tries to make you bow down and worship some false deity, then you'll say no. You have to do that because the government's moving in to take the place of God. But, beloved, as long as the government leaves you free to serve your God, then it's your duty in your conscience to support the order because without that order, you can't even express your conscience. You can't do it. And so at this point, the apostle is coming and saying, Young men, it's not only your duty in the order in which we find ourselves, but it is your duty unto God that you manifest a good conscience toward the call that's laid upon you. All right, now let me ask you the question. Why do these young people get these ideas? Why? Why do they get them? They get them in college. They get them in the high school. They get them in the literature that's spread abroad. But why do they get them? They get them because those of us who are older and have responsibility are not discharging our obligation to teach them and to guide them and to warn them. 
Just look at your radio shows all over the land and I, what are they? Just so much gibberish and gibberish and froth and filth. What are they talking? Just turn on the radio and listen to this thing and then turn it off. Just look at the television tonight. What's on the television tonight? What's on these educational TV programs? Just look at them. Take a look at them once in a while. See what they're, you'll turn it off. Beloved, the radio today with its mass media of communication ought to be in the hands of men who are putting programs on that support my country. They ought to put programs on that will challenge the young men to be good patriots and good soldiers. We need to get programs like this, but if you do, you know, you're getting militaristic. If you get too militaristic, you'll be Hitleristic or something else. And so out of fear and intimidation, these mass medias are letting us down. Our schools are letting us down. They're letting us down. We don't have the story. Who ever heard about Patrick Henry? Who ever heard about Nathan Hale anymore? Our history's being written now, and we're going to study history from the Negro viewpoint for a while. And you should see some of the things that are being put out today and the great and glorious history which this nation has of men who suffered and died and gave all they had for our freedom. Where do you ever hear about it anymore? We don't even talk about it on the 4th of July. We don't even talk about it on Memorial Day anymore. No, no, no. Where is it going? What's happened to it? Please tell me who ran off with it. I want to say to you people, I was reared in another section of the country. Thank God I was. I was reared out in the Midwest. But I want to tell you, when I was going to school out there as a boy, and when I was being instructed, I was told, I was told over and over again that this was the greatest country in the world. And I still believe it. And furthermore, I was told that there were pioneers, there were men who suffered to give us this country, and I should be willing, if necessary, to lay down my life for my country. But whoever teaches that anymore? We've got a bunch of phony counselors and advisors in our public schools. They don't tell the kids anything. They just say, it's up to you. Well, how can it be up to you if you don't know anything? How can it be up to you if you haven't been instructed? And I'm in favor of some Christian schools. I'm in favor of a Christian high school. I'm in favor of a Christian college. The other day I called all the boys of that college of ours together by themselves. And I talked to them for over an hour. And I really talked to these young college students. Would you like to know what I told them? Well, I told them a number of things. And I wished I could tell it to every boy, but thank God we've got some wonderful young men down there. They're all over there in that dormitory. They have the entire Congress Hall. I tell them, boys, you're sleeping in the hotels where the president slept. You better be good. That's the Congress Hall where they're living tonight, all of our boys. But I told those boys that they had an obligation to God. I told those boys they had an obligation to their country. And I talked just as straight as any man could talk to boys. I told them how to cut their hair, how to keep their fingernails clean, told them how to press their pants, told them how to keep themselves looking decent. 
Then I persuaded to tell them how to get along with the girls, how to treat the girls, how to respect the girls. And I told those boys in that college, I says, every single girl in this college, you treat her as though she were your sister. And I says, every young lady in this college, you treat her as though she were your mother. Don't you have any disrespect of any kind for the young women about this college? And I went ahead and told them a few other things that they didn't even know. It was funny to see the reaction of these boys. They've come up in a different world. They don't live in the world that we've lived in. I told them, I saw yesterday walking down the street over there, one of these boys was one of the girls, and I said, say, you know, that boy had that girl for sale. They didn't know what I meant. They didn't know what I meant. I said, that boy had that girl for sale. You ever see a boy have a woman for sale? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Oh, no, don't show your hands, please. <laughs> oh, they had, that boy had her for sale. Well, I was always told that if you were going out with a girl, it was your business to be on the outside of her next to the street. You're supposed to protect the weak girl. You're supposed to look after this girl. But if you walked on the inside and left her on the outside, you had her for sale. And that's right. And I says, boys, if you're going to go with the girls, have some decent manners about you. And I told them a few other things along this line, which they need to be told. I guess I better not get a little bit too specific right now. But, beloved, our young men and our young women aren't even being told how to be decent to one another in their parents and in their homes anymore. Leave it to them. Leave it to them. Leave it to them. And if you leave it to them, it'll be done all right. It really will be mixed up. There has to be some training. There has to be some instruction. And we have to have some schools in this country that will teach our boys that they should fight for the flag of this land. But where are they? Well, if we did, we wouldn't be having little cards like this put on the bus for somebody to pick up. I guess whoever gave out that card must regret that they left it on a Haddonfield bus for somebody to give to Dr. McIntyre. My country, tis of thee, sweet land of liberty, to thee I say. Long may our land be bright with freedom's holy light. And that's our prayer, that's our faith. But they don't even sing America anymore. They've quit singing America in the public schools around the country. Oh, they'll sing the Star Spangled Banner once in a while, but the last verse on that gets them into trouble. But they don't sing America anymore because our Father's God to the author of liberty, and that's a prayer you can't pray in the public schools. You can't even sing a prayer. And so that's going out of the schools now. Everything, everywhere is pulling down these things that pertain to God, pertain to our country. And we're going to have a bunch of revolutionaries, a bunch of pagans, a bunch of filthy young people that have no standards so far as their moral life is concerned. 
And beloved, my recommendation and my remedy for all of this tonight is to come right back to where this Bible says we must come. We must come back to where we put our trust and our faith in the living God and we take his word. And my Christian, my beloved friends tonight, those of you who have children, those of you who have young people, stay with them, bring them about you, and rear them up in the house of God. I tell you, parents, I tell you, families, I tell you these things. On Sunday night, they ought to be in the house of God. This place ought to be full tonight. Next Sunday night when I go to talking about the co-eds over in the University of Pennsylvania, you mark my word, I'll get a lot of things brought to me this week. I won't have any trouble building my sermon next Sunday night. I'll have plenty of things brought to me this week. All kinds of things. But when I get into that subject next Sunday night and talk in a practical way like I'm talking tonight, this church ought to be filled with young people. And you parents, if you don't bring them, if you're not going to see they sit under the ministry where these questions are raised and where these ideals are stood, are held up before us, then you will pay the price later on down the road. The next thing that we must emphasize and we must do everything on our power to, to engage in is to carry on this work of preaching the Word of God. Our young people must be saved. They must know what it is to say, I've been justified. Now that sermon I preached this morning on justification by faith, it was a beautiful sermon, but I want to tell you that sermon was not beyond the grasp of a 10-year-old boy. It wasn't beyond the understanding of a 12-year-old girl. What God says there, anybody can understand. It's just as clear as can be. And when you expound that word, and I want to say to you, beloved people here tonight, if you'll preach the word and expound the word and hold up the word of God, God will take it. And you must bring your children under the ministry of the word of God. There's no possible substitute from the ministry of this word and the blessing and the power of this word in the heart and the life of a young man. And the older I get and the longer I live and more experience I have, the more I realize it's your obligation and my obligation as time is running out on us to see that we take care of a Christian high school, to see that we take care of a Christian college, to see that we have a theological seminary like Faith Seminary, which will have its commencement on Tuesday night. Beloved, it's our duty before God. And don't let other things lead you to brush it aside or to neglect this obligation and this responsibility. Now the next thing I want to say, and this is the last in this regard, beloved, you must have the courage to stand up to young people and tell them that they're doing wrong. Stand up to young people and say, it is evil what you're doing. It is evil before God and tell them. Somebody must warn them of their sin and of the way in which they are going. Now these young men who are mixed up in this resistance movement, they've been misled, they've been deceived, they've been lied to. 
And what do you think they're doing? What do you think they're accomplishing? They're putting their little decision in this area of the draft above the decision of their country. And that, my friend, is what you can't do unless your country commands you to worship a false god. But when this country of ours calls us to colors, <clears throat> we must go for conscience sake. I think we ought to honor these young men. You know what I like about these young men? Every time you see them, they're coming around with their army's uniforms on, you see their colors, and then you see the stripes over here, and you see the bars. You look at them. Why isn't it nice to see them? I'm just as proud of them as I can be. I really am. And there used to be a day if a fellow came along with a nice big uniform on with a lot of big bars and a lot of big medals, the girls would just go goggle-eyed looking at him. That's right. That's gone now. It's gone now. Who cares? What's happening to him? No, beloved, let's honor these men. And that's why we pray for our generals and we pray for these men in high places. And that's why we think and all of us think that our country should stand up to its enemies and meet the enemies and defeat the enemies and rout the enemies so that our boys will have died in something died for something that's worthwhile. Now let us pray. Oh Lord our God, we thank thee tonight for this great teaching of the Bible. We thank thee that our country is worth supporting. Its ideals have been laid into the foundations through these years. We thank thee that every penny in our pocket has thy name on it, in God we trust. And, O oh, Father, we ask tonight that these young men who are mixed up with this resistance may repent of their rebellion, may cry out to God and may understand that there is a God who cares and who forgives and who loves, and that this God sent his Son to die for their sin. Oh, may we preach the gospel to these rebellious ones. And may thy word be quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. Oh, God, tonight, use the message to stir the hearts of our people.